Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Voice Notes podcast with myself, Liam South, episode 3 to be precise. Um, this podcast is brought to you by Faster Pasta, Cambridge's premier fresh pasta delivery service. These boys are bringing up some delicious, fresh, homemade pasta kits right to your door for your Saturday night. They make everything, including the pasta, so- pasta sauce, pasta, pasta sauces, sorry, and um, everything that else comes with it, such as desserts and everything like that. Fresh, homemade, straight to your door. When was the last time you had fresh pasta? You can't answer that question, can you? So yeah, take advantage of it. This is only in the Cambridge and Cambridgeshire area and some parts of London, so please take advantage. And let me tell you, it's bloody gorgeous. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. They've also got their own merchandise available via the website at www.fastapastaco.com. That's F-A-S-T-A pastaco.com. Also give them a follow on Instagram of the very same name, Co, to see what they're all about and support another great local business. On the website, it also includes everything such as recipes, blogs and also menu changes they change the menu every single week so even if you've got say if you've got dietary requirements if you're you know <clears throat> if you're allergic to this or that if, if you have any allergies if you have um, if you're a vegan or vegetarian they got you don't worry about it don't sweat it they'll get it straight delivered to your door affordable prices and it's fantastic it'll keep you smiling keep you full keep your bellies full um, take advantage of this as well and uh, very proud to have them on the podcast. Um, but today, um, yeah, episode three, welcome back. Um, uh, this is um, a little introduction um, to the podcast. So um, very special podcast today. Um, we're joined today by our first official guest, uh, sorry, Connor, um, of the podcast. Um, so this is, um, today I'll be I'll be welcoming Reese Chapman onto the podcast, um, a film director, which um, previous works include uh, Wonder Kid, a short film about... Um, that follows the life of an openly gay footballer, um, which was first shown at the 2016 Rain Dance Film Festival, not a big deal, and then debuted, um, uh, did I say that right? Debuted on Sky Cinema, and it has been seen by over 3 million people online. Um, a very important film, um, uh, highly regarded, obviously highly regarded in the LGBT community, and um, uh, also worked very closely with the FA um, on this. So, um, a very important man. Um, other works are also in the pipeline, but I will leave uh, Reese um, uh, to talk about that. Um, not only is he a film director and just all-round good guy, he's a man from the Fens. Um, as you know, I am from the Fens, which is in Cambridgeshire. Um, so it's great to have him on the podcast and uh, to kick off the first series um, as well uh, called Men from the Fens, which we'll be highlighting and um, celebrating just the sort of achievements and the life of people from of men from the fens um uh, it's um you know it's, it's obviously from obviously if you're from where we're from you'll sort of relate and i think um uh, with one certain <coughs> certain project is feature film that will be coming out um uh, i won't be i'm not available to give dates but it's in the pipeline um i think people from where we're from especially will relate to it um and people if, if, if you're just from a small town area or a small kind of village area um, I think you'll definitely find it relatable. But um, Reese Chapman, um, we talk about his life. We talk about you know his film career, what led him to his film career, and um, where he is now, and um, how he's sort of coping with uh, all the various you know lockdown measures and whatnot. So it's a great interview, great guy. Um, uh, gotten to know this guy a couple of um, over the last couple of weeks via the phone to get this set up, and he's, he's been he's been fantastic. He's been, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. 
But without further ado, um, I'll pass you over to Reese Chapman. And it is a great pleasure to introduce um, the first official guest of the Voice Notes podcast. Um, not only is he a man from the Fens, but he is um, also a film director, um, as said in the in the previous intro. Um, directed uh, films such as short film, such as um, uh, Wonder Kid, a film that follows an openly gay footballer, which was first shown in the 2016 Rain Dance Film Festival, and later debuted uh, debuted even on Sky Cinema. Um, other films in the pipeline, but I'll let I'll let the man himself um, uh, reveal all. Welcome to the Voice Notes podcast, um, Reese Chapman. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for the official introduction. Yeah, nice. Connor, Connor, not an official guest. No, so I did say. Listen to that. Yeah, that's what I said. Um, uh, I apologise to Connor in advance. Yeah, so he's he'll probably be a recurring guest, but um, the first official official guest. So it might might, um uh, hurt his ego a little bit, but um, yes, this is the real deal. But thanks for having me, and sorry, Connor. no, thanks. No, thanks for coming on. No, um, really, because we obviously we spoke a couple of times and in, in sort of build up to this, and just to kind of make make it all kind of happen, and not not to give off that to the listener like we've not spent months in the in the pipeline of this, but uh, just about a week or so, just kind of getting to know each other, getting a bit comfortable around each other and whatnot. And we actually did um, for no, not many people know this. I actually did interview you around I'd say about six years ago. For, um, not even I know that, do I? Yeah, not even you know that. Yeah, no, you were. You, it now, was... now that I know it happened, I can vaguely remember it. Yeah. A little worrying that I can't remember something that happened a few years ago. Yeah, no, it was just a like an interview at uni. It was when Wonder Kid was first coming out, and or was in. Um, I think it was in. I think it was on the cusp of the cusp. It was on just about to be released. Um, you'd done all the promo things with like Ian McKellen and. Jeff Street, Jeff Street's Martin Tyler and whatnot. I think it was just in the final stages of it because. Oh, right. So maybe the trailer would come out because that come out just before. Uh, yeah. But no, yes. Um, but yeah, no. Thanks for coming on and appreciate your time. And no, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's previously, very, but it sounds interesting what you want to do. Yeah, no. This is, a, this is a new thing for me as well because I'm usually promoting something when I do anything that's Nothing to promote. Yeah, nothing to promote. Yeah. I suppose just a, just a chat. <laughs> just no, nothing a, to report. Nothing to report. But how are you in general? How's um sort of COVID life been been treating you? You know, I know you um recently married up to from 2019, and you've got you've got yeah, a young son. So with child. yeah, it's married with child. So it's, it's my life is officially over. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. I, I'm had to do a lot of growing up in the last few years but mm. um, probably long overdue even, even when I was like turning 30 I still felt like a teenager so mm. Ooh, growing up very fast but I um, can't say I'm enjoying uh, lockdown 3.0 no it's um, it's rough going and I know you've spoken previously like when we've, when we've spoken like I don't know my friend he said this with his son I think um, your son will both kids are the same, around the same age. Um, he was he was born in December 20, 2019, My friend's son, and he's he was on he was sadly put on furlough for a stretch of time at the start of lockdown, and he sort of saw that as a bit of a blessing in disguise. I don't know because he got to spend time with his son that he he knew previously he wouldn't have. Um, and I know you've had a similar experience, and sort of that must have yeah, been. A, a, I, I, yeah, I never would have got to spend this much time with him get so close with them so 
that's one of the main benefits for me. Mm. Um, it's so funny because he was born, he was born September 2019. He spent most of his life locked up. He's <laughs> like the freest spirit possible. Like he hates being restricted in any way. So perhaps he was born to counter all this draconian bullshit that he's going to experience growing up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Um... It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of feel mainly sorry for like because we spoke to like say for example you'd hear different because my housemate Connor he's a teacher and just a, a primary school teacher and you just think kind of and you don't really think about it but when it was another instance where like our handyman came over just to fit in a new oven and he was talking about his daughter and she she's in college and she's and he's kind of his sort of he's worried about her because socially obviously educational wise he wants her to do as well as she can but it's just even harder with like without the sort of social aspect and everything that sort of revolves around being a teenager and she was she was 18 during the lockdown as well and I was like oh that'd be the worst time to yeah imagine missing out on all that that'd yeah. be like my cousin didn't do his GCSEs because of it last year and he got screwed over by the results like didn't get what he wanted and whatnot. That kind of out, that bullshit algorithm and whatnot that just yeah, whatever that was. Yeah, just um, a mess, so yeah, a mess. That's probably perfectly that upset him a bit. But mm. Just not to go through that experience. Like that's a big life experience. Yeah, no, it's, it's but yeah, like carry on, sorry. Sorry, um, my, yeah, he he was like petrified of other kids until he turned about one. Mm. Now, then he started to become more intrigued about being social and stuff like that. But it's just like, it was really worrying. No, I can imagine. It's for, for any yeah. any parent, I think, whatever the sort of age your, your child is, from up to a certain point, especially if they're still in education or just in their infancy, like your son, I can, I can imagine it is quite... It's just daunting, isn't it? Because you worry, you worry for them. And yeah. I, I know for a guy... Yeah, I can, I can only speak for, you know... I can't speak for other people, but from you know what from my my friends say, my sister's a teacher as well, and she's she speaks to parents who are concerned as well, and this she's concerned as a teacher and as an educator, and it's it's just a one big mess in it. But yeah, I don't know what the long term effects will be, but um, we've put my son into a nursery for two days a week, mm. last few weeks, and he's having a time of his life. That's, that's brilliant then that's great yeah he loves it it's so stimulating and it's like lots of friends and fun I'm quite attached to his key person as well so how would that was, is that a kind of socially distant nursery then well, if if that I can I don't know how it works I don't think there's any because infants don't really aren't no. really affected by it no yeah I don't know what they're doing there but we have to drop him off at the door which is a bit horrible I usually take him right into the room Hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a bit of kind of. Yeah, it's been good for him. I, I really dreaded doing it. Like, I felt I was being a terrible father or whatnot. But it's the best thing we could have done for him in these circumstances because he has such so much fun. He gets so bored in the flat. Hmm. Like he'd run around for hours in the park if we let him. Yeah, no, it's similar with my um, my girlfriend, her nephew. He's he's similar. He's just kind of. He can't sit still. He's very just kind of up and down, and you know, just always kind of playing about and whatnot. And if you let him, he would run around the park all day and just sort of full of life and whatnot. It's just, it's, it's, it's always. It's, but it's, it's nice to see when kids are like that. It's, it's just, yes, yeah, it's, it's 
bit of a joy to watch, really. But are you are now because obviously you mentioned the flat. Are you in are you in London or are you in the in the Fens or in Cambridge? Yeah, South London. South London. Yeah. Oh, nice one. Yeah. Just whereabouts? We've been here about. We've only been here since September. Uh, near, uh, none there, which is near Peckham, like in between Peckham and Newcross. Yeah. Oh, so you moved during the lockdown then? Yeah. Um, yeah, September we moved. We were living with my in-laws for that. <laughs> which is surprisingly all right. Yeah, that's right then. That's just, just, you, you, I suppose you've got to say that on the podcast, haven't you? You can't, um, uh, you can't really say, you can't start slagging someone off. No, 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 no I, I love my mother-in-law. She's amazing. Oh, brilliant! Nice. And do you ever get back um, with this? Obviously, we talk about you know the fens. You know, we're both we're both as as it happens, we're both from like the same village and lived same street, same street pretty much. Like when I first it's moved, mad to think, isn't it? it's kind of crazy. Um, I told my mum this the other day, and she was she was she was kind of like what? Like it's was, it was a small world, isn't it? But. The fend, yeah. the fend in, a, in a way is a pretty. Everyone kind of knows each other, so it's it's not really. When you think about it, it's well, not that much of a shock. It's such a flat and open place. It's very uh, it's claustrophobic and small, and everyone's in each other's business. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you seen? Um, have you heard about the infamous Sutton notice board? My on okay. face, my my. <laughs> it, on you face. Can, it's is it's it's what you can exactly imagine. It's just kind of people. I was, I was on there once and then I left immediately because this is when I was still living back home but my mum tells me about it and it's just kind of classic sort of gossip, gossiping about who's in the village people literally straight up calling people out in the village and whatnot it's just... I'm, I'm on a little port group someone told me how like, epic it was and I got in on it it's hilarious <laughs> so apparently there's some boy in here below me or like my sister or something who's a, a nonce or something everyone's going nuts about him <laughs> I can't remember his name it's like the smallest little details say like someone parked the car on the curb outside the one stop you know and you've been parked there for four hours take this down or you know you bastard or something like that registration is such and such like just proper call this person if you see this person shame wow, them yeah it is yeah nice no, um, but it obviously brings like me the sorry like the Dibley, or... it is yeah no, especially when um yeah, when he seems to sort of know people, because I I sort of grew up with my stepdad taking us, me and my younger brother, to the to the local football team. So we sort of grew up sort of knowing, and that's obviously a very social like part of life, like you know men's football teams, and like we grew up kind of knowing everyone and knowing in the village. Like, and even now when I go back, like everyone sort of knows me, despite when I worked. Obviously, when I worked in this pub, you know the Sutton the Sutton Con Club. Yeah, Every, yeah, I, I, do know I worked there for about a year and a bit, just kind of saving a bit of money on the side um, on the weekends. Great, great job, and I really enjoyed myself. But they um, they didn't call me Liam; they called me Ollie for the whole time I was there. It was quite because really? this one of the um, uh, regulars, his um, his missus, she was from Castleford, and apparently I looked like exactly like um, one of their rugby players, like Ollie Holmes. So. He's just a kind of a bit, just a big lad. He's he's obviously more in shape, but he's just got a ginger ginger beard and like ginger hair. So it's just anyone like Alan from the Hangover probably would have. I probably would have been called Alan to be fair. But uh, I looked like that during lockdown. I haven't been in the Con Club since maybe like like six or seven. It hasn't changed. I used to drink in the British Legion, the old one, and then yeah, the new one. It hasn't changed. You can I can assure you. Like some of my stepdad. 
when he went in because when I started working there, he went in there a little bit. He went in there more often. And it was similar to you. He he hadn't been there in years, and it's, he said like it's literally as if I'm gone back to the eighties. It's just it's nothing's changed. But in a way, that's that's quite. I quite like that. It's just nothing sort of. Yeah. It's the same people, kind of the same like really really nice people, and just the same sort of atmosphere and and vibe and whatnot. It's it's um. It's, it's well. It's just it's yeah. a home, isn't it? It's, it's a, where everyone. I wish uh, I wish the original British Legion was still there. That was really like. Old-fashioned. I'm a bit too. Uh, it was an old air raid shell. I'm a bit. I'm a bit too young for that. I think that was before my time. I remember. I knew. Yeah, I know the. I know the new one. Obviously, I'm just used to the newer one because we used to go there. Obviously, with my stepdad, he put me and my brother. <laughs> he put me and my brother on a table with a can of coke and a packet of crisps and some <laughs> some, and some money for the pool machine and the pool table. So it was <laughs> while he was, while he was away. So it's kind of. Well, We were in the old one, and I was like really wanted to go on the fruit machine. Yeah. So my dad used to work for DC or Max fixing fruit machines, so we would like, often have some in the house. But I wanted to go in the fruit machine, and um, in the British season, my mum's going, "No, no, they're for idiots." There's some level of truth to that as well. There's another idiot on the fruit machine. <laughs> It's um, so funny. I remember. <laughs> I can't remember. I won't tell this story because I think I'll butcher it. From this, my friends, his, his um, uh, his niece and nephew said. But I, I remember one time when I was a kid, a similar story. But remember the old strikes bowling alley in Ely? Yeah, I do. Yeah. When that, um, I think it's. I'm not sure. I've not been there. I've not been there. I hope it's still there. Um, that was the best thing ever that was it was kind of um yeah it was brilliant when you're a kid it's, it's great because they had the um uh was it like the space jam center or something next to it it was like a yeah, big like soft play and like yeah yeah that's the one they had like a restaurant and a bar that had like beige dinners it was all it was like an all-in-one it was really it was like for fun for all the family like so if you if yeah. you leave the kids you can go for a coffee or a pint but i remember when yeah. Because I went to the... To- we were in the restaurant bit. We'd obviously been there for like a party or like a day yeah, out, afternoon out. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, they do those packages, don't they? You go bowling and you get a meal or whatever. Yeah, you get it's just kind of all for, all for the price of one. But then um, we did this and like I must have been about five or six. This is with my parents and my sister. And we're... <laughs> I've just come back from the toilet and I've walked past a big like party like table. And... I just kind of like got like I just remember going like oh my god wow just seeing these people and then I got back and I must have been because my dad told me to shut up instantly I said like oh dad that family is so fat and he just kind of like shut up he just kind of he yeah. must have been like it's like you know you wouldn't say that anyway but yeah like you said kids it's, it's, there's well, no you're going to get to around like eight or nine you start to realise that you can upset people with your words yeah, no. you're just pointing out observations. Yeah, you sort of just kind of speak, like, thinking out loud almost, aren't you? When you're a kid, yeah. it's no bullshit, is there? It's just kind of straight honest truth. No bullshit whatsoever. No. <laughs> no bullshit whatsoever. But um, do you ever get back? Do you ever like obviously during these times? You've have you uh, managed to get back to the fens or even beforehand? Because 
No. Do you make we, it? We stayed. We stayed with my mum and dad for a few months at the start of. 2020 when the first lockdown was basically had had my son and then I landlord asked for the flat so we had to stay with my mum and dad for a couple months and my my in-laws but so I got to go back but I'd say in the last 10 years I've rarely been back oh really so it's quite a good experience Mm. no so do you have a more of a sort of appreciation for going I suppose if you only if you only go back every now and again like going back is a real because I think everyone has this where if they've moved away from their hometown and whatnot it's a it's a real sort of safety blanket I had that um uh, I didn't have that during university because I just wanted to get away um because I was just kind of sick and tired of the place but since coming back since obviously since I've kind of well I say I say matured but I don't think I'm that mature really I just leave that to other people but it's it's it feels like and I suppose everyone can relate to that, but it just feels like a really nice safety blanket. It's like a comfortable pair of shoes. You just come back and you... Well, I've, I've not exactly been welcome in my parents' house since I was 18, 19, so it's, I don't really have that feeling about home. But I would say that um, Sutton for me still... Like my parents live in Witchford now. Mm. Sutton for me is... Uh, it will always be my home. Mm. So I, I lived there... For until the year 2000 from 1989 when I was born mm. we moved but it's, yeah, it's mad I, it's, it's really mad I, I still dream now when I dream now my house is still the house I grew up in mm. it's really bizarre Fun. I lived there for mm. what, 20 years sort of fond yeah, childhood so. memories yeah I think so um, but yeah the 90s was such a special time anyway mm. that having a relatively good childhood then as well cements it as a real special place for me I think mm. and yeah. growing up in the Fens I know we went to the same we went to the same school you were about when I was starting school you were just finishing and yeah. were you obviously being from the same place and I think I think people from the Fens can sort of protest this. And you mentioned before, like, it's a very ice, like, the flatness of it is, it can become quite isolating. And obviously, for young people, um, especially, like, what made you sort of, did you, did you have sort of feelings of wanting to get out, like, straight after school? Or did you have. Uh, I, n- I never really thought I would leave. Mm. Uh, circumstances led to me moving in with my man in London. Mm. Um, but. Um, it is isolating. It's claustrophobic. You, do, you can feel stuck there. Mm. It's a very small place where everyone's in each other's business. Mm, definitely. But yeah, I, I guess my I would never have left had I not had to leave. Mm. So it turned out to be a great thing for me. Yes, yeah, so I never would have gone through any of this stuff I've been through if I hadn't left. But. No, so I, I, I do still. I, I still I, in my head, I still feel like I'm always going to come back one day, but probably less and less likely. So I will now that I'm a parent and whatnot. Mm. My wife's from London. She, I, I could not see her living there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, 
anyone anyone I found who've come to sort of visit if they're from say London or anywhere anywhere that's sort of just bigger than say two thousand people <laughs> so when they come and visit the fens they're like I could never I can't I can't believe I'd <laughs> I could never move here I remember I used to work in the it's funny you say that so I used to work in the anchor restaurant down the gulp and great place great place sad sadly um not it's gone, it's gone isn't it which is a which is, grand, i know yeah i can't see someone paying that i can't i know it was on the market for like 500 but um because it was it wasn't apparently at the start it was but nevertheless it's, it's sad that it's gone because it's a real because that was that was a famous play that was that's kind of cool that I worked there as well but there was a couple that come in and they said oh, is this the only restaurant in, in Sutton I was like uh, yeah yeah why is, is he, whereabouts are you from I said oh we've we've moved here from London I was like fucking hell like, <laughs> just kind of, fuck yeah. <laughs> like you've uh, but they were she seemed uh, I think they they seemed quite excited they seemed, I think they were from London they moved to the farm they moved I don't know where they moved I think they're in the village like on the high street but uh, still like I think I they were... spend a lot of time in the Gulf when I was a kid. Yeah, I was I... going to Cubs. In yeah, the, the old scout, the old scout house. Yeah, which is now derelict. Isn't it? it is. Yeah, I never knew when everyone used to refer to the old like the Cub House or the Scout House for um, uh, for, I can't for the Scouts. I forgot the name then, like an idiot. But um, I always everyone kind of referred to it as like an underground bunker. It was like I never knew where it was. I never, because I know my friend's mum was like heavily involved in it, and she ran a lot of the event, the events with the parents and stuff. And it's like, where, the, where the hell is it? She was, oh, I was only down the goal. I was like, but where though? The goal's quite big. <laughs> it's just, it's a, it's a big place. Like, but with um, moving from Scott, like obviously where you're at now with, you know, the obviously your projects like obviously being a film director. Did you have yeah. plans of of doing that whilst in school? When did that when did that sort of notion come about and have you always been a always been a kind of a film, obviously just a film fan as well. I, I suppose everyone is, but someone in your field does it. I've never really been the biggest film buff. Yeah, I've got a great a great amount of pleasure from watching movies. But uh, I so when I when I was really small, I was very reclusive. I liked being at home. I'd like playing with my toy figures, wearing fancy dress and drawing pictures, which is all kind of visual stuff like uh, creating stories with my toy figures and whatnot but uh, I never really thought then that my like, artistic side would ever lead anywhere it was more of like a, a, a hobby that my dad found a bit weird mm. do you know what I mean and uh, I guess with, with with cinema, I, you know, like the great thing about living in a place where nothing happens is you can stick a film on and then you're transported to somewhere else for two hours or watching TV. Like I thought I told you on the phone the other day or whenever. Like, some of my earliest memories was watching CFAX ready to come on. Mm. Like, if something was on TV in the 90s, I watched it. I was never not watching TV. So I guess there's that element. But when I was a teenager, to skateboard oh yeah and uh, would regularly shoot and edit skate videos my mate my, one of, my best mate Ed was elite level skateboarder wasn't he a pro skater at one point no 
he never turned pro, but like Ralph was sponsored by like Unabomber and Etnies and these big companies. Mm. So just to get to go really cool places with him and meet loads of cool people. And yeah, I, through that I discovered a love of filmmaking. Mm. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't only do that. I would just make silly videos or artistic videos or whatnot. Send them around on MSN Messenger and all that. Yeah, like Bebo or MySpace and stuff like that. Yeah, even then I didn't know that or could foresee that that would be anything other than a hobby. Mm, yeah. Um, and I guess if it wasn't for the invention of DSLR cameras, I might not have been able to pursue a career in filming. Mm. So that was a bit later. I, I moved to London in 2009 and then I moved permanently in 2010. Mm. And that was... Was that when you moved to your nan's house and then... Yeah. Yeah. Staying with my nan. And um, then, kind of, as I... All my friends were doing, getting on with their lives and stuff and I was still kind of a mess. I, uh, I think then I decided I was going to try and pursue some kind of career within film. But I didn't really admit it to anyone. Mm. I tried to go to film school, but it's like impossible to cost the earth unless you get a scholarship and you can only really get a scholarship if you've got some great experience mm. so I, How- I went to uni doing arts management mm. which was like a business course for the arts on the whole but through that I was expected to do up to 60 days unpaid work for like school year and I volunteered doing all sorts but um I got to work on a few student short films, mm. terrible films, <laughs> but uh, I got a taste for it. You got paid for it? No, I got a taste for it. Oh, you got a taste for it. Oh, sorry. I was, I was about to say, if you got paid for it, is this, this all that matters. Uh, but you mentioned, just to interject, you mentioned that you didn't, you thought about starting a career in film and wanted to make moves in it, but you kept it a bit of a, a relative secret. Why, why did you um, feel that you had to, what you felt like you needed to do that? Well, um, from a, my family, my, both sides of my family are very working class mm. backgrounds where that type of thing we really laughed at, you know, expected to do the right thing, get a job, trade or whatever. And I wouldn't say I was really ridiculed for my artistic side growing up, but it was certainly made to feel weird about it. Mm. Certainly. So I guess that really, and... So it stems from my, yeah. My, my life to that point was, I guess, was my family would consider it a failure, and my friends. So I wasn't going to start saying I'm going to do this, that, or the other. So I kind of quietly pursued it. Hmm. No, I suppose that's still probably the economic. But, but it's mad. Like I, I um, I got the chance to uh, eavesdrop on Shane Meadows in a pub in Shepherd's Bush. And, 2012, I think. And that was by chance? By chance. Wow. That's, uh, that's, I, was, I, I should have been at university, I think. That's one of them, that's one of them days where you're happy to have like skipped the class or was like, dosed completely. Yeah, I, I was several points in my mid, no, like, the afternoon and then I could hear <laughs> someone behind me talking about Stone Rose's documentary. Oh, yeah. Made a, is it Made of Stone? Yeah, so yeah. Like, I'm sitting there like a little bit tipsy and I'm like, who's making that? <laughs> so 
so like, I went and got another pint and I, came, I sat at the other end of the table so I could like, look at who it was and I was like, who the fuck is that? And I was like Googling under the table on my phone and I realised it was Shane Meadows. So mm. like, then spent the next hour listening to the conversation trying not to let them know that I was like eavesdropping. And he was basically saying that the invention of DSLR cameras means that anyone can make a short film. Mm. Whereas when he was starting, it was near on impossible to get into. Because the logistics and the sheer cost involved. I suppose because when he would have started, he would, it would have would have been in like would have been in the nineties or the early two thousands, wouldn't it? Because I know his. Yeah, I think it's far as short film with like Frank Harper and uh, Bob Hoskins. I don't know what year that was, but yeah, it would have been a very different set of challenges for him than it was for me. Mm. I know. Um, and that that was a that was a big thing for me to hear at that point. That's and all got. From that point onwards, I really just pursued trying to get into film at every. It's pretty mad though, because that that was a low point in my life. Hmm. So like, venturing on rock bottom, you know, I had a real bad drinking problem, taking drugs more than I should. Mm. I just lost a friend to a heroin overdose. Hmm. And then that happened. So I, I really don't think if I hadn't heard him say that I would have finished university or done any of the things I'd done. So hopefully one day I get a thank him for it. No, it's funny. It's funny how these things work out, and it's how that can sort of obviously what you mentioned in your personal life. It's you know you can't seem to sort of get a break, and you know things just keep coming coming at you but this this chance meeting that well this chance sort of thing that you encountered yeah. you know that's just it's incredible isn't it it's almost you'd be kind of forgiven to be thinking it's, it's almost like divine intervention almost but well, but that is that's that's know, that's, that's incredible that's an incredible story and like and you've not you've not met you've never met him or never kind of had any correspondence with him or i've told people that know him that story yeah i don't know if she's aware of it mm. um I've certainly not met him since, but you know, I hope one day I get to tell him about it. No, I hope you do. That's a, that's a hell of a sort of story, and I, I suppose it's it's um, it'd be quite it'd be quite a surreal experience for him because he wouldn't he he might he might remember it, but he might just remember who who was that sort of drunk no, I'm guy. Sure he's totally unaware. Yeah, yeah. But, to- um, unless someone's told him it. Mm. Falls starts falling into place then, and your attitude. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I am a believer in fate. I mean, I don't think everything in our life is set in stone, but I feel like the more you venture away from what your true life's purpose is, the more the universe mm. will shunt you back onto that path. It's not always very pleasant. Yeah. And you mentioned obviously the problems in your personal life and um, and what happened. We won't obviously we won't go into whatever you're not comfortable with, and that's uh, obviously a difficult time period for anyone. Um, and that seemed to help you out. Was was there any sort of because you were at university then? When, was it your first year or second year at university? When? Uh, 
third. I'd, I'd scrape into the third year, I think, and was failing that one dismally. Mm. Uh, but yeah, from that point on, I never looked back, and I did really well at university. Mm. Ended up with a 2 1, 69% 2 1, which is a bit annoying. <laughs> yeah. All the, all the best people get 2 1s, though. So um, uh, it's, it's all oh, good. I'm told. Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, this is the two-one podcast. So, um, it's, it? yeah, it's, yeah, I've, I've, I've got it. I've got it framed up somewhere. Or I've got it in a frame somewhere under my bed, I'd say. But um, I've kind of forgotten the gist of your question. No, it's just kind of how because what what sort of um, if you don't mind me asking about obviously the personal problems you yeah. you were suffering um, during university was this? Happy to share some of my problems that I've overcome, but yeah, the floor is yours. Yeah, this is a first for me. I guess I've always avoided talking about myself, but I guess mm. this is probably a good moment to do it. So no, yeah, I, I I've, I'm current. I'm six years, six months, and twenty nine days sober. That's fantastic. That's brilliant. Yeah, congratulations. This so, drinking drugs have been a big problem in my life. Mm. Um, which I've overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had some problems growing up in my family, but a relatively happy upbringing. Mm. But, uh, my relationship with my parents broke down in my like late teens, early adulthood, which I don't really don't hold against them. Mm. But uh, yeah, drink, I, yeah, drinking drugs probably my main problem, and got in a bit of trouble. Growing up as many kids from where we got again to mm, and that's, guess, through boredom and other other reasons, but and it's not a from where we're from, and obviously I keep saying like where we're from, obviously as it's like a, a special like kind of it's this sort of exception to the rule, but we it because it, it's because we mentioned earlier it's a. when you're a kid, it's um, you're sort of amazed by the free open spaces, but. Obviously, when you turn into yeah, you turn into adolescence, you can feel very suffocated, and yeah, it's, I mean, unless you're protect, protected in a really upper or middle class environment, mm. you can fall into the monotonous traps of living for the weekend, abusing drink and drugs, getting in fights with people from other villages or towns, mm. or the gypsies in the area. Yeah, no, it's, um, they're always looking for an excuse. Yeah. Yes, um, I know. I, I remember. I, I mean, I'm guilty of falling into, mm. but I learned valuable life lessons from all that. Mm. Um, and like I said earlier, I never would have moved to London if I hadn't gone through all of that. I, you know, thank thank the Lord, my my nan took me in. My nan's amazing. Mm. Because yeah, um, a lot of the people I was doing these like internships and working on these films around were like from really wealthy or well-to-do backgrounds, whose parents would like pay their rent to live in London or whatever. Mm. Whereas I was lucky enough to be living with my nan in her box room. You know what I mean? So yeah, I was quite envious of these people at the time, but I, I, I learned that they didn't have the drive or the Mm. life experience that I had 
Exactly, yeah. When to be able to push on and actually make a make a career in that world for myself. They were more doing it for the social like kudos and lifestyle that came with and that, came with it. That's the difference, isn't it? That's a because if it's given, because I know I know quite a few people who had their like when I was at university, their rent was paid for them by the parents, and you know whether or not yeah. they've gone on to do what they they want to do or not. But in that, I think in that experience, when you're in sort of university bubble, it's you go there for whatever reason to obviously you if you want to start a career in in film in TV or whatever you're studying. If you know you need to, it's also a part of growing up as well, and you know paying your way and and you know grafting and whatnot is 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 a, is a way of life and to have those sort of skills to to not kind of have the same experience as everyone else is you know it, from your perspective you know you do have it's natural that you have a bit more drive and a bit more about you because it's not given to you on a plate and it's perhaps yeah i do think entitled people can still make a success of themselves for what yeah yeah but yeah, the motivation is probably less there for them than it was for me. Mm. And your experiences, your experiences obviously led into like your film career because I know um, uh, obviously we won't talk about this too much, but we, we'll, talk, we'll reveal what we can reveal. But your your first feature film, The Fens, yeah. um, titled titled The Fens. Um, yeah. Talk to us a little, obviously, what you can do is and. Well, it's, um, I've, what I've done is I've tried my best to create a fictional story, drawing on my own experiences for authenticity about that kind of age where you leave school thinking you've got your whole life ahead of you, mm. and then you get like a cold dose of reality that mm. the real world's not all this cracked up to be, and that perhaps you should have took granted the freedom you experienced while you were still at school and I've used that story uh, as a Trojan horse to get people to think about why so many men commit suicide mm. um, but yeah I'm having that so that's, that's my main project at the moment mm. which has been great and also horrific thing to have to think about a lot nice to look back at those kind of teen years where you're hanging around in the youth shelter up the wreck, getting up to no good yeah. with your mates looking for because that's when cause mischief yeah, yeah when you when you gave me the sort of material on it and when I kind of read through it all and the plans for it and whatnot, and reading through the characters it felt like I knew them it felt like yeah. I think obviously I'm, I'll be biased I'm, obviously I'm from we're from the same area, so and we know the same people. So I kind of pictured, obviously there was there was the characters in there, but I I had kind of pictured of who who was who was who, and um, yeah, you have similar ideas from your own friendship group. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's, I, I think I tried to do, I tried to make it familiar to anyone from a small town, and try to look for trends in personalities of different types of people mm. to build characters around to create that familiarity so people can relate it to their own life mm. and how a small community deals with tragedy because quite often people are at each other's throats until something tragic happens and they all come together and that's, mm. that's what I'm going for and you mentioned because I know because it's based in a sort of very 
like the countryside it's a, a small town and you don't yeah. see many of these sort of stories be told of you know the the, the people who live there they live their lives in these areas and these small towns and it's often is would you agree it's often neglected obviously there's there's you know stories to be told like there's series like Top Boy and whatnot that tell the story of yeah. you know young people well, growing of, up in London yeah. but um, a lot of, yeah it's like NSE city stories that are the most fascinating and um, yeah push, push for diversity we will see more and more of them um, so yeah what I've, what I've tried to do is like a, a rural equivalent to something like Top Boy but maybe slightly more ethical mm. using the themes of feeling isolated or alienated or perhaps claustrophobic and stuck uh, to the contrasting theme to that because like, there are tons of kids from those types of places that will watch something like Top Boy and be like inspired by stuff like that mm. or dress like roadmen and try and talk like yeah. that are actually from the fence do you know what I mean so, yeah yeah there's, there's plenty of them <laughs> there's, yeah. there's plenty of them yeah and those, those types of non-London stories or like yeah, they are neglected. You do see some of them that are like just painfully nostalgic. Mm. They might not be really about anything, but yeah, I've tried to create an authentic contemporary story that and it's, show that side of Britain. Yeah, and obviously it's not with with COVID. It's obviously on halt for now. But when are you? It, uh, it is moving forward slowly. Yeah, um, still writing it at the moment. Mm. Still getting all our funding together, but Kate Nash is going to star in it. And that's, is that is that an exclusive? I think so. Yeah. Oh, very good. Very yeah. happy to sort of have it on the I'm on the allowed, podcast. I'm allowed to say that. Oh, very good. Um, so just 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 Kate Nash, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, so she's, she's great. Yeah, no, she's is that her first um, like acting role or the, one of a kind of in yeah, a feature she's film? A big Netflix, big Netflix series called Glow. I I did see a. Um, a a film about or a documentary about on <coughs> excuse me on BBC, yeah, iPlayer yeah, I've seen that yeah. that was really good and that really sort of because in a way like you don't because to me she's just a pop star really and she's and whatnot and you because I remember her when her her songs came out like Foundations that was when I was still yeah, in school that. and that was massive that was huge and she talks yeah, about was, yeah. the impact of that and how her life well, has yeah, shaped I, well, how, Knowing her and then watching her documentary is like really great for me. But mm. like when when she's herself away from that, she's she wears her vulnerability on her sleeve. Mm. And I was quite happy to see her show that in that documentary. But that was what drew me to getting her involved in in the films. It's that vulnerability that she shows in her private life to bring that to one of the characters. Mm. I wrote the part for her. That's kind brilliant. of knowing her because yeah like well I, I didn't I, actually when I first wrote the part for her I, mean, I knew her sister and her boyfriend separately just thought she's been quite a vocal supporter one the kids on Twitter and that I wrote her apart and sent it to her and she was well up for it and got to know her quite well since then that's been brilliant been a great experience she's actually I think she's doing a Doing some sort of web seminar on Sunday about male suicide with some foundation. Or mm. I'll, I'll find out what it is and send it to you. Yeah, I'll get the um, uh, link on the, the link. 
Yeah, I'll get the, I'll get the link. Okay, um, uh, when's this going out next week? This will be uh, next week. Yeah. Uh, might be too late. I'll try and I was, I was thinking about putting it on the weekend just so people can um, a bit of an early release so people can have a bit more time to listen to it and whatnot. Um but we'll cool. we'll figure it out we'll, we'll go from there but no I, I agree with you the, on the document because I, I just thought my opinion of her changed because I didn't really it's fair to say I just didn't really have an opinion of her when the doc, before I saw the documentary when I saw it I, I kind of browsing through and I was like oh Kate Nash I'll, I'll have a look on it and it just it just I really liked her i thought she was she was fantastic she kind of sort of it's that classic you know early success at the start and you know it's not kind of what it is what people think and it's often the case i know but and like her going on tour with a you know with a group of um it's great because like what i admire about her she she's to her because it was just a really yeah. great it's because of just seeing her and how sort of almost when she's on stage she's kind of like a force of nature she's just really compelling to watch and as a music yeah. as a music fan it made me want to kind of go and see her live and experience yeah. um experience that experience her performance so I, I did get to see her live uh, in 2019 in Chensbury Park that must have been good it was mad like to, to see like 50 she was she was on the bill at a uh, community festival there. Yeah. To see like 50,000 people sing from the stage, sing foundations at you. Yeah. It was a really surreal experience for me. That must be it. Yeah. It's insane. No, I can't imagine that. It's that. That feeling, that must... Because she's always... Well, she's always got that to play, and I suppose anyone with a big hit has got that to play. But that must be a real surreal experience, obviously for you, well, you mentioned for yourself, but for her, like yeah, I never thought I'd get to stand on stage and see that many people singing a song. Mm. Well, they're not obviously singing it at me, but yeah, it felt, it felt like they're singing at you. I think she said, yeah. I'm not sure if I, I butchered this quote or not. Like she, because it was a while ago since I see, saw the documentary, but you know, it's because it starts off with the piano. Didn't she mention that? As soon as she starts that one key on the piano, it just goes. Everyone knows exactly what's going on, and it's yeah. just it's, it just erupts, doesn't it? And it's that must be. It's it is literally from start to finish, like there's no build up to the song. There's nothing. It's, it's just a. a, big, it's a you know, like hits a hit, and that one's a fucking hit. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> uh, I have not tuned everything yet, but yeah, that that that's a hit. Yeah, foundations no it's fine no, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, a lot of people my age who grew up on that song so everyone sort of loves it and kind of yeah, I think I was a long way then that's how I can't remember it's very uh, specific to that time but um, she said something like she only wrote that kind of like quickly in her room yeah now like wherever she goes people sing it back, back at her that must be quite strange that's mad to think because I um through recovery, I got to know uh, Kevin Rowland from uh, Dexie's Midnight Runners. Mm. Oh wow! 
and he hates Kamala Island. <laughs> he fucking hates it. <laughs> he refuses to play it, and he hates it if anyone brings up to him. But I can imagine for like the last thirty years, all people have fucking spoken to him about. Yeah, it's just. So <laughs> you can I you can't imagine what it's like to no what it must be like to have a hit single like of that magnitude. That is absolutely yeah, because just everyone is. I suppose if you've got a collection of hits, then it's, it's better. But yeah, I, I think I heard um, it was the bassist in, um, or it might have been Damon Albarn. He hates um, like Holiday. The song it was like um, or Girls and Girls and Boys. Girls and Boys. Yeah, he hates that song apparently. What a tune that is. That is a tune, and like, he, he wrote that after going on a like lads' holiday to Tenerife or something. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And I think it was it was either him or the bassist. Fascinated and like terrified by the whole thing. Yeah. No, he's Alex James. Alex James, that's the one. Yeah, he's um a bit of a bit of a Renaissance man, isn't he? But he's I remember seeing just like a stat like he hate like every time they would play that song or like someone would bring that up because it's obviously it's a cool story behind it. And he'd be yeah. like, just no, I don't, I hate that song. <laughs> like similar to yeah, it must be it must be like annoying to have to speak about something over and over again mm. for like twenty five years. I suppose that's with like you can that sort of transcends from because um, obviously I was just about to ask about Wonder Kid and is that well I mean that's only five years but yeah I can I can see from that how like, if I'm still talking about that in twenty years time I might have had enough of it but yeah I can see what do you think yeah. um, the like obviously after making Wonder Kid because it was from start to finish it was quite obviously it was a whirlwind, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. I was grateful for a rest after it calmed down. Yeah. And but uh, I got. I, I, was, I did an interview with Sky Sports the other week, mm. reflecting on it, because Wonder Kid was the first. Wonder Kid was the like thing that made Sky Sports support Rainbow Laces, so they were doing a recap, and I had to be. I was just asked about it, and I was looking back on it, and it. It was a fascinating journey, mm. uh, and to know that it has influenced football means the world to me. Mm. Um, I, I never could have imagined it would have gone on and done all the things it did. Mm. But yeah, I, I look back really fondly on those times. Didn't you mention um, that the the chairman of the FA said, like, yeah, you mentioned that the, the Wonder Kid is the content. Uh, issues it's mad like little things as well like you know like when the Rainbow Laces week is runs in November yeah and the uh, captains wear the Rainbow Laces armband yeah the armband and the laces and I come up with that you came up with that yeah wow that's amazing I didn't, I didn't know I don't know when so what about the first two years of Rainbow Laces some people said like some feedback I got from people was like either the the laces don't fit in their boots because they're not sports laces yeah or you can't see them on TV or whatever so I told them to do an armband and then they just got like a basic rainbow armband mm. and uh, wow. I said if you get the Premier League to use their turn it into one of their armbands with a rainbow one it'll 
it will like give a stamp of approval to any kid watching hmm. because they'll see this institution, the Premier League. And that, so yeah, I was involved in that. So things like that mean a lot to me. That's incredible. Uh, like, that's 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 fantastic. Like, and that's that's across. That's not just in the Premier League. That's across the the football league. And yeah, I don't know what the championship do, but yeah, they. Yeah, we're seeing it in the Premier League like that. That's mad. And also, like, just silly things like hearing Martin Tyler and Jess Shrews on TV knowing that I know them mm. and that they were involved in that. It's mad. Like, so I've been to academies up and down the country with Kick It Out in the Premier League, showing one of the kids to uh, 18 to 23 year old academy players. Mm. And they're always like amazed that the FIFA commentators are in it. <laughs> they get drawn into it as a football drama from that perspective. Yeah, I suppose so because that's what they're they, cause playing FIFA as a young kid. You're going to hear those; they're yeah. the most familiar, and everyone sort of knows the catchphrases and whatnot. And well, again, it goes to that stamp of approval. They're hearing their FIFA commentators be involved in this film, so they're going to take it seriously. Mm. That's been some of them best moments for me in the academy itself and seeing like players like Rhys James and Callum Hudson the boy go on to play for playing the Premier League and play for England mm. so I, you know, I've spoke to them I've shown them that film I've talked to them about it that's incredible it's, it's quite surreal would you say that's what would you think or what would you say has been the impact on or the lasting impact on on Wonder Kid and what it's, what it's really done for for the LGBT community, and because because I, I remember when we I interviewed you a few years ago um, at university, because the reason, because just a back, bit of a backstory to this, I interviewed you because we were doing like a from a, for our course, it was radio produ- radio production, yeah. and we were mi- every in third year every single Monday we would mimic a radio station for the day, so I would be Radio Four, yeah. Radio One, and one of the lads who was in our um, course, he was an intern uh, each week at Gadio, so. He oh, yeah. he suggested we would um, mimic Gadio for the day, and I instantly kind of thought of like, well, I kind of know this guy Reese who's doing a film about an openly gay footballer, and then chance I I kind of I thought about it. I just didn't expect it, obviously to have an interview, but um, what would you? Because I remember you saying, and obviously back to my point, I I remember you saying at the time in that interview, like when you pitched it to certain LGBT communities, was there a bit of a Correct me if I'm wrong. It was a bit of a kind of suspicious approach to it from them, or yeah. Well, I mean, I guess any straight ally trying to support the cause would be met with a, a certain level of scepticism until you prove yourself to them. Mm. But yeah, I had to. I think through 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 the stuff I did outside of making the film, like campaigning inside and the events and stuff, I'd get involved with. I, I gradually made friends and won people over mm. um, in the community who went on to be an integral part of the success of Wonder Kids so I, you know, I had to have done it anyway yeah definitely um, yeah like the lasting impact of Wonder Kids I guess so there was lo- lots of people doing lots of things within football around that time and mm. continue to do it but I, I guess yeah, it opened the door for a lot of these key stakeholders in the game to Mm. to support the issue without having to do much 
and then once the film was complete, all these institutions wanted to do more with the film and use it in various ways and shout about their involvement. So I think it was a good foot in the door for a lot of organisations that might have been a little bit afraid to, to back the, the cause. Like, football's... In football, things that are... Too, well, less, less so today, but things that are taboo don't get spoken about, and this was seen as a controversial subject, but mm. no one wanted to touch. And now, thankfully, everyone's really... The messaging across the board in football is... Support gay players, right? Yeah, certainly, because there was no... Um, obviously, there's... Up to this point, there's, there's no... Um, openly gay footballers but um, in the Premier League or across the four leagues um, yeah. I remember like Thomas Hitzelsberger coming out um, afterwards and there was wasn't there an English player over in the States as well Robbie yeah. yeah yeah have you did you ever kind of because um, I'm not sure did you ever speak much with Gareth Thomas um, uh, who's no I was supposed to be involved in that documentary that he did but it never happened um, oh really I never got to speak to him. I spoke to Thomas Hitzberger and Anton Heysen. Yeah. In Sweden. Mm. I spoke to both of them. Anton Heysen was a big fan of the film. Mm. Yeah. And Thomas Hitzberger had some nice things to say, which meant a lot to me. But yeah, like, there's no denying that there's no open gay footballers. And until they are, you would say that football's in the dark, but mm. the general belief with everyone working in the game is that you can't really rely on players coming out as a sign of success you have to create the environment that is welcoming and supportive so that's why things like Rainbow Laces campaign is so important mm. exactly because it sends that message to everyone and the LGBT fan group movement is really been an integral part of creating that environment so when I've first got involved there was like four LGBT fan groups there was the Gay Gooners of Arsenal Man City and a couple of others Proud Lily Whites for Tottenham mm. there, was, there was another one sorry if anyone's listening from any of those fan groups <laughs> but, but yeah now there's so many and that's is that do you, is, 600 would, members in their group is that a result of um, would you say that as a result of Wonder Kid and this sort of <laughs> Not <laughs> just like the continued, uh, the continued work that's been done in the game by all mm. parties. Um, because you know, if there's gay players on the pitch, to see that there's gay fans in the stadium, it sends a little mm. subtle message of support, and it also says to fans in the ground that there are people like that in the ground, yeah, exactly. It's um, it's not a, a little extra deterrent. So, I know some of the banners in the stadium often get shared online and stuff. It's a point of ridicule, but mm. it's the visibility of that is really the most. I think it's just a, it's an important message because I don't think um, it is because I remember you saying it was like a, the kind of last taboo in football, and I just that's great taboo, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last, yeah, and I think. It's, it's it's difficult because I can you can you can understand I can only imagine what it what it would be like in that position. This you, you can't really imagine, but it's I th- I think it would be genuinely accepted because of the outpouring of 
of support for yeah. for, for whoever because yeah. it, it would it's uh, I think it would be completely different to when it happened with Justin Fashion who obviously sadly Absolutely. what happened there was that when I when I think about that that must have been one of the most scariest decisions uh, to have ever to for him to have to have made and it just ultimately incredibly brave man for doing it because it was a different it was a different time back then and it's just obviously ideas have changed now and that's the main example that people have yeah that is yeah sadly that's sadly yeah but yeah like you said it would be overwhelming if you supported if it happened now um so through the pfa i've been told that this is a few years ago now but the pfa were aware of seven gay players and the fa Greg Clark tried to speak to those players about why they didn't want to come out and he was trying to encourage them to come out together mm. I think one one player wouldn't talk to them at all and then the other six the reason they all gave is they don't want to be labelled as a league gay player yeah but whilst acknowledging that be like, the media would be really supportive and everything so it's, it's an interesting thing I suppose in there you can, un- you can understand that because they once that would be once that would come out and there's no doubt there would be a complete outpouring of, of support and it would they would be celebrated but it's I suppose that you, you don't you wouldn't want to do that in sort of fear of being defined like that's going to carry you because yeah, they want to be because they just because um, they say I'm I'm a footballer first yeah, judge me on my ability yeah judge me on my ability not you know for sure I understand it's a very personal decision Mm, yeah, of course. I think all that being done now will, will pave the way for. I would imagine there will be a time in the not so distant future where a player comes through the academy set, set up out to their peers and mm. they turn professional that way. But with politics and everything in recent years, it's divided the country further, and now we're seeing like flares up of racism and stuff, which makes you feel like we're taking a massive step backwards. But mm. one positive from it I'm seeing it's like you see players like Raheem Sterling Marcus Rashford now who are speaking out they speak their mind they are their own personality mm. so I think once money got into football in the 90s late 90s or whatever footballers have become really robotic mm. media trained individuals that give the right answer whereas now that's kind of falling away so I would hope that players from now on will feel like they have a voice and can be themselves I would agree with that. It's kind of that sort of stock answer um, after stock answer after questions is, is sort of fading away now. They, these players have got a voice, yeah. and well, the, for, for the first time ever, the players have got a, a real platform. They've got you know yeah. some some of them like Raheem yeah. Sterling. He said he's got one of the biggest platforms in the world. He's one of the biggest. He's one of the best players in the world, and huge platform place for Man City, England, and you know this. It's uh, they use the platform for good. Uh, at the end of the day, and but would you say because with um, did you kind of explore anything more into other sports that had maybe had the same issue? Because I know with rugby, um, there was obviously um, excuse me, that was Gareth Thomas and the rugby league player Keegan Keegan Hurst who came yeah, out. I've met Keegan Hurst, yeah. Oh yeah, have you? And this because I know he was on. I was because I know I saw an interview with him that he had a because when he um he he sort of came out he was 
he was humbled by by fans and fellow players and support of him and just overwhelmed and sort of the outpouring. He had, I know he cited like an email from Elton John as well. Yeah, I think I think I heard him say it. Yeah, I think I think he said like the the banter he got in the dressing room after that actually helped. Yeah. So nothing, like nothing, like nothing's, changed, nothing's changed. Is, is the still to make jokes about without being like. Mm. Um, I've heard other people say that as well. They, and that's a great because that says to be shied away from him. Yeah. Interesting environment because everyone takes the piss out of each other. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Does it say more about the sport of rugby than it does the actual, like, because you because the you can get into the sort of debate where. You know, rugby is the intelligent, the thinking man's game and whatnot. That's the yeah. the classic thing, and they're they're, they're far more middle class. Sport, yeah, 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 and football is historically tribal. Yeah. Do you think it's, it's do, you, do you think it would be because obviously Gareth Thomason? Apologies, but I don't know um, any other openly gay rugby players. But for Gareth Thomas and Keegan Hurst, their sort of support has been incredible, and I know. Gareth Thomas is, is is really sort of you know it's it's, it's him coming out obviously it, it had no choice really but it's it's for the better isn't it it's it's, it's made him a spokesperson for those people and, yeah. and and but is what I'm trying to get at is is it's because the sports are very different aren't they the fan bases are very different I know a lot of people do cross over and they like rugby and they like football but do you think it would be because broad, broadly, it's, it's just not a, it's not an issue that Gareth Thomas or Keegan Hurst came out, um, and it's not an issue. But is do you think with football, because it can be kind of there still are some people who are quite old fashioned. That's the thing that is, but that's in society yeah, as well, I isn't it? Being no difference to racism and football, how that exists currently. Yeah, nice. No, recently um, with um, the other night, with, with football being. Um, the most popular sport in the world, it would transcend mm. the game and be like a global phenomenon, having a, especially an elite level player come up. Um, so, it'd be, it'd be amazing, sort of, it'd be an amazing news story, an amazing kind of just time for, just for, I think for the game, yeah, of, again, for, right, for the game of football. Personal decision to come out and then for it to then be, I know like, I don't know if this has changed, but the FA had a protocol for what would happen if a player wanted to come out, and it was something along the lines of they tell their club, the club tells the FA, the FA would hold a private press conference to press saying this player's going to come out, this is how we want it dealt with, and then the player would come out. Just like that doesn't seem by the players' it's decision. Not very personal, but, is it? Yes, no, yeah, it doesn't seem that sort of goes against what coming out is really. It's a it's a very personal thing and. Uh, I can't see anyone who would want to come out. That that would put you off, wouldn't it? It wouldn't. It'd make it even more daunting. I think, yeah, perhaps. Yes, because that's the sort of what is it? Kind of coming out by committee. That that sounds like really, doesn't it? It's just. It becomes more about the game than the person. It does, yeah, com- completely, and you can understand why. You'd, you'd, you would want to remove yourself from doing that I think coming out publicly because yeah, if you're in that position a player just goes this is who I am mm. via their own channel as well yeah yeah exactly yeah. takes it into their own hands but... 
Yeah, because that's everyone's got the everyone's got the power to do that now, aren't they? Especially footballers, and it's it's, it's that's a good thing. That's one, a, one positive of social media. That is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what you could say. Yeah, nice. Just don't come out on Twitter because that's just a empty vessel of just just com- for, complete wankers. Yeah, <laughs> just like people, yeah. Twitter. To so, I think Twitter will fall soon. Twitter is just it is it's so surprised. It's just stunning the the lack of empathy, the lack of anything yeah. on there. Well, the same way that they all social media them. is the same in effect, but Twitter and in itself is very selective about who they censor, yeah. what they censor for, and it's like, yeah. And I know people sort of say, "Oh, free speech and all that stuff," but it's it's, it's kind. Of <sighs> yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a fine line between yeah. free speech and hate speech, which. While I am a defender of free speech, mm, same. Uh, you know, you, yeah, people can go on Twitter and say that they want to kill someone or that someone should be killed, and it's allowed. Yeah, that's, that's acts of violence. I don't think should be allowed to stay on there. But then you see people being politically censored, whether you agree with those views or not. I don't necessarily agree with. Mm. It's like um, the idea. The idea that the president of the United States can be deplatformed. Even if he is one of the maddest characters you've ever seen, it's still a bit hard for me to get my head around. That whole thing is just kind of stunning. Like the just him on like a the most powerful man in the world tweeting. You know he hates uh, Rosie O'Donnell yeah. and like slagging people it's off. It's fucking madness. Isn't it? Yeah, like well, this that goes back to sort of the same when you said people with different political agendas. It's, I think James O'Brien in his book. Um, I can't remember the title, but he said like you have to give the loony the same platform as the sort of so-called sane man. Well, the, like to just silence someone with a bad or unpopular view, yeah, rather than give people the ability to counter it. I think empowers the person being silenced. Yeah, rather than. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mess. And I, I don't have all the answers, but... No, no, I don't think anyone does. <laughs> I don't think we have free speech anymore. Yeah? It's the worrying thing. Nice. No. It is very... It's, 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 Especially it's, it's, during all this COVID, man. So I yeah, it's a final... I'm poor you or your listeners with... Yeah, the, le- the legions of followers, Reese. The legions of followers. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're four listeners. Yeah, the four. Yeah, my my mum, my dad, and my my mum, my dad, and my sisters. I'd say. <laughs> but um. That seems like from Instagram, your mates are all sharing it. No, it's it's been really it's it's been really kind of nice to have like yeah my friends the the support of friends whether it be good or bad like the the, the content that's coming out but um. Yeah, no, it's been really nice. It's been really good, and obviously having you on the podcast is is great as well. And uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's been. I've, if, obviously, we can we can go on for we can go on for hours if you want. We can. We, I, I went on a kind of rant about politics the other night with my friend, and I'm not the sort of one. I'm not the sort of one to profess about you know I know that much about politics or anything like that. But it's just yeah, everything. I, I just really. Well, no, I think without going too into it, just, we're becoming more divided. The, the, the um, country's never been more divided, I don't think. Yeah, Bre- Brexit um, has a big Brexit played a big part in that, but this absolutely, yeah. But um, it's like a two-tiered kind of mm. 
perception of things in any situation that whoever's the oppressed in the situation has the moral high ground and can behave how they want. Mm. So it's just a mess. But my, I remember uh, the video that went around the other day, I'm not sure if you saw it, the, the young girl who was on this morning um, about she was an inf- she's an influencer and she was claiming that she was motivating people at home and they were having like Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby. Oh, yeah. They were having an absolute field day with it. Philip Schofield's sort of. They, they, love, they love getting stuck into these. His 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 grin on his face was just kind of it was funny in itself because yeah. he and Holly, Holly Willoughby just kind of said she she they must have wanted to say so much more, but she said like, "What is yeah. that? You you want a camel? Isn't motivating? It's just wanted this making me want to be there. It's it's making me kind of a bit annoyed. I'm not in the sun and whatnot." And, but you can't, in a way, because my girlfriend said, because she's, um, she's a swimmer. She, she used to swim for Ireland and competitively, and, you know, she's, she's sort of getting back into it. And she's, she's got, she still have friends, she still has friends in swimming. And her friend, because she trains and she's a part of a team over in England, but obviously the pools are shut. They're also shut in Ireland. That's where she currently is. But she knows friends that went over to Dubai for a month to do, to do, you know, to train because the pools are open. They can, they're, they're free to travel yeah. there and she said that this this is kind of what struck a chord really and kind of I kind of went with it but she said that it's it's not just you can blame the person for going out there but ultimately you have to blame the state for allowing that person to go and giving that person the sort of well, choice yeah, like, really and um, it's it's and it, it yeah. just yeah, I can sort of rant on and rant on about well, it my my, my perception of it is like that that influencer girl seemed a bit dumb mm. but uh, it's not my place to tell her what she can and can't do yeah exactly nor is it any of my business mm. so I don't really care um, same with I don't really feel it's the government's business they're not elected to tell us what we can and can't do put us in the house at us or whatever mm. but you know I, I wear my mask in the shops I don't want to wear it yeah, no, same, yeah. I do, uh, if I see someone else not wearing one, I really couldn't give a toss. Hmm. Uh, I think... You don't call... You, yeah. you don't, you're not one of these people... No, that's a good way to you not. You don't, you don't call people out for not wearing a mask. No, <laughs> I, I saw someone calling someone out on the train. It was mad. There might have been, there might have been my dad, to be fair. My dad calls people out, he says. Yeah. He, t- he tells me when he's in Tesco. He, he, yeah, um, he'll, laugh at the, he'll laugh at the story. <laughs> the bloke on the train is like... English man, late 50s, I'd say. We had a copy of the Daily Mail in his hand rolled up. He starts screaming at this, uh, I think he was an Eastern European bloke, Salveson, that had like the chin strap style. Was the, uh, uh, the wearing of the, the mask, where right on the ears but under his chin. The chin nappy. That's the, that's the, yeah. yeah, he's going berserk at him. <laughs> Saying, you're putting my life at risk, you're putting everyone else's life at risk. And then the geezer storms off up the up the up the carriage. Oh, it was on one of like the district, or whatever. Where it's all like open. And then he uh, he storms up down the um, the train, walking past. I'd say maybe two or three English people without masks on. He said nothing to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? As I said, I've not seen I've not seen anything. You only sort of give kind of disapproving looks. So I've I've not seen people kind of call call another person out for wearing a mask. It's, I've overheard someone um, when I was like an Asda, I was wearing a mask, and I just kept on bumping into this woman and her daughter. Yeah. 
and she was just kind of like, I can't believe that bastard's not wearing a mask, and then like, <laughs> she's kind of just... I understand it, but yeah. it's, but I really, I really can't get behind it. I guess I guess like, I'm not I'm not really buying the pandemic either. Mm. So maybe that's drawn into. I mean, if people were dropping down in the streets and we were being told to wear masks, and people were, not might take a slightly different. Mm. I suppose. Yeah, you know, I do. I do. I do believe in liberty. Right, people have the right to do as they please. Yeah. Uh, it's not my business mm. to tell people what they can and can't do in their own homes or out in public spaces but that's why it's a bit of a, it's just everyone's everyone feels trapped and and whatnot and yeah it's just like all under house arrest yeah like, that's what I said on the a lot of us are living in the, in the like kind of communist environment yeah it's just really it's crazy when you think about it that everyone isn't it's because it's, you know when you say certain things that happen in your life like it's uh you know, going through it and they, oh, I can understand, but everyone is in this together and it's, yeah. everyone's in the same shit, but um, we've not stuck, we've, I don't think we've stuck together as a country, we're not sort of pulling in the same direction yeah, at all. Divided, we? we have the mask wearers, the anti-mask wearers, pro-vaccine, the anti-vaccine, it's all like divide and conquer. Yeah, it goes, I, I think it goes back to the empire, I think it goes back to the sort of, like, it's, I, I remember hearing a, a quote about, from an Irish broadcaster, like England's a, a nation of strangers, um, and this was even before. Yeah. This was before COVID hit, and this was course, yeah. during Brexit. It's just it's it's That's kind of different about up north, isn't it? People talk to each other. As here, you ask for directions. It's like you offended someone. I prefer yeah. I prefer living like further north. I, mean, I must say, when I have gone up north for things for like work, it's been much really pleasant environment. We were. Um, it's I always I always tell this story when I was in. I was in Leeds with my dad and we went to see a band but we were it was in it was in February and we were kind of just obviously I've never been to Leeds before we were just kind of bar hopping and you know having a, having a good time and then um we were just watching the rugby in this in this Irish pub but obviously it's classic you know um a lot of people in there and it's Leeds is Leeds on a on a kind of busy Saturday is is quite cool it's quite it's quite a good place to be it's a good night out and we were there and there was, we were just kind of standing and there was like a kind of table like area that was available and these two women kind of came, oh, excuse me, can we, can we stand there as well? Can, do you mind if we stand there? And we were like, yeah, that's fine. That's, that's, that's fine. That's not a problem at all. And then like five minutes later, my dad said, because if we were in London or where obviously Cambridge or the fence, if, if, if those two girls did the, did the same thing, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah. And then afterwards you're like, well, what the fuck's their game? What the fuck they want? <laughs> you'd be instantly... They were like, "What the fuck do they want?" <laughs> it's just, a, it's a lot. It's, it really is like, it's, it's the sort of stereotype. Is everyone up north is a lot more friendlier, and I prefer. I just, if if I was to, because I said this, I asked this to my friends um, around Christmas time. Like, if you could end, if if you were to end up in this country, where would you, where would you want to be situated? And he was, he was said, like, yeah, not the Fens or anything like that, but probably, probably London or somewhere like, Surrey or whatnot. I said. I'd I'd rather be I'd I'd like to be like further north or if I was to live down south I'd I'd want to live near the coast. But yeah, um, really. but further yeah to, to get further north is it's, it's a much. You, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't dare to say you live a happier yeah. life, but it'd be a, a friendlier friendlier life I'd say. Yeah, well, I think like northerners tend to be more witty and like make make fun out of 
situations is a, to free themselves from suffering, right? Yeah. That's where it comes from, the old days of the mind or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, there are some nice coastal places in this country. This country is beautiful. I mean, they're... I guess because we have the four seasons in their fullest. Yeah. Quite beautiful summers and bleak winters. That's what we get. Yeah, no, it's just really... It's, it's sometimes uh, bleak winters and bleak summers, though. It's, it's never... It's never... <laughs> It's never a happy medium. It's, it's sometimes. Well, the last few years has been a bit of a trend where it's been like boiling hot, and for the, for a few weeks of the summer, I will always really because we you must have been when World Cup fever hit in two thousand eighteen. You must have been that was amazing. Yeah. Cool. I was I wasn't in the country for the whole summer. I was in America at the time. Oh wow! You missed out. Yeah, and I was. Special. That was. I remember when. Um, I flew out my dad we were talking about the World Cup and he said oh you won't miss much and I was like yeah I'll we'll probably go out the last 16 or something like that like the best and then once we were like it was the only time I was homesick for the whole whole time I remember oh, yeah. yeah and I remember at the time because where I was working we had a day off on the semi-final which was perfect and it was well it wasn't obviously it wasn't a perfect day but it was just kind of I absolutely got I obviously had quite a few to drink but I remember saying to myself at the start of that day, I was like, if we win, I'm flying back home. I don't care. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to win. Or, I've, I've got to do... I've, I don't care. I've, we've, I've, got, I've got to kind of experience this. Because seeing uh, my mates who didn't even like football were saying, I've completely caught up in the... Like, it's just so exciting. It's just the, the most amazing time. It was brilliant, yeah. So what, like, so my first tournament was Euro 96. Yeah. Oh, that was similar um, then. That must have been... Yeah, so... That's that's what made me fall in love with football, and uh, so we were at the end. Like, I didn't understand this at the time, but I got a sense of it. We were at the end of a long conservative government. Mm. There was a depression in the mid early nineties, I think, and there was this kind of wave of Britishness going around the country. Where it was like things like Britpop and Oasis, Premier League had started. There was a glimmer of hope with Tony Blair, even though we know what happened there. Yeah. Um, and this tournament in our home country just kind of brought everyone together, and I could see how it lifted everyone. Mm. And it just encapsulated that, and obviously with Free Lions being that the tune that encapsulates that. Because I think Lightning Seeds picked Bedell and Skinner because they hosted uh, fantasy football, which kind of they saw as the depiction of this young new lad thing that was going on in the country at the time mm. and yeah just 2018 is the closest I've seen to that yeah in this country but interestingly like I got a sense at the time when all that was happening that it was the end of something in 2018 yeah really like, not the not the beginning of it like, no like, so <laughs> that, kind of classic like, England fan really well, no, not, no, I mean, like, in the world, the way yeah, we yeah, in yeah. our lives. Like, so I, I study social engineering through, from my whole life or whatever, like, so you've just heard me talk about Cool Britannia and New Labour and all that. Hmm. And, yeah, I just got a, a sense that something was starting in 2016, something was ending. And now we're seeing the world completely change, for, I think, for good. Yeah. That's when I just picked up on the subtle energies a little. It was really mad. I can't. Just... But that 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 enabled me to soak it up. I think. 
Yeah, and really kind of appreciate it at the time. Yeah, I was. I just, yeah, I think that was that was really like the only time. Yeah, I was just so homesick because just because uh, we didn't have access. Because I was working at a kids' camp, I was working at summer camp with my mates, and That's cool, yeah, mate, I have to get um, some of the lads I went to camp with. There was, the stories we have from that is just unreal. It's just ridiculous. It's just, just it's like watching England over a bunch of Americans. Yeah, well, like it's Americans and American kids. Um, um, voice broke there. I love Leicester City. They live the dream. They've done the championship. Oh, that is that is, that is exactly because one of the because um, one of the kids because it was a Jewish camp and obviously I was with teenage boys and they'd all been bar mitzvahed and one of the kids who we were talking about his speech is bar mitzvah and. Um, he said, mentioned, he goes, yeah, when Leicester won, and it, was, it, was, it, it, it gave him, because he, he used Leicester, Le- he used Leicester winning the Premier League as a sort of signal of hope for his life and and whatnot. It was yeah. quite, <laughs> but when he, every time he said Leicester, it was just like, yeah, when Leicester won, and <laughs> and it's, it's not just, we had, oh, this is another funny one. When we were in, Philadelphia with one of our American friends because I did it two years in a row. Sorry, West Philadelphia. West, well, no, it was um, it was more kind of posh suburbia to be honest. But um, we were with we had a it was the night after the McGregor and Floyd Mayweather fight. And we were in um, we were in some sort of dive bar in Philadelphia, and then we went back to his house, and we just kind of obviously hung over the next day. But his mate was. His mate was funny because he was. We were watching by chance. It was like Liverpool versus Arsenal in midday, and we were like, "Oh, this is quality." Um, just kind of midday. Four three game or whatever. Yeah, that was no. That was like four nil. That Arsenal got absolutely. Oh no! Yeah. You're an Arsenal fan, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it was. I think it was. It was when Mohamed Salah first signed for Liverpool, and he just kind of went. He just ran wild, and uh, his mate came. Obviously. We were at our American mate's house and his mate came with food um, to kind of cheer everyone up. And he was, obviously, he didn't really know much about football. He was trying to get into the conversation, but we were all hung over. And he was like, yeah, man, what about uh, Zlatan? Like Zlatan Ibrahimovic? And we were like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's cool. He's like, yeah, man, how about those Ajax? And he was just like, how about those, how about those Ajax, man? I mean, but he said it with all sincerity. He didn't say it with any... Kind of irony whatsoever. He was just like, oh, that was Ajax, man. I uh, I went on holiday to Turkey on those terrible package holidays. I think just before the '98 World Cup. Yeah. And there was an American bloke there. who was a Liverpool fan. <laughs> Liverpool, you mean? And, uh, no, that's not what he said. <laughs> so uh, I let him read my match magazine or whatever. Yeah. And, like, they, uh, I think they used to have posters in the middle that you could pull out. He's like, oh wow, they've got a poster of my favourite player, Jamie Redcamp. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Redcamp. I was like, what? I let him have the poster. Yeah, he's. <laughs> that's. Um... Say, like, can, can that? He said, camp. Camp. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Jamie Redcamp. Oh, that's brilliant. But it's. Um... I, I, I like Americans. I think that. I. I, I, I... I've got a few American. Obviously, yeah, being in America, I've got a few American friends, and they, I think they're great. I have American friends. Uh, yeah, I've worked with people over there, like the, the sky from that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, cool people. They're just like more enthusiastic than us. Mm. 
Well, we um we turned up to the summer camp we were working on. Uh, we it was like a but because obviously we got there, stayed in a hostel, and then got like the bus to from New York City to up like upstate. It was like two hour drive, two and a half hour drive. Um, but the bus was picking us up from Harlem, and we had it, the bus had broken down. We didn't even take off, so we were sort of stuck. Like all me and these. Obviously, I, was, I went with my mates, but we obviously just getting to know these lads we were working with. The girls' bus didn't, they went off without a hitch. So they got to camp like hours before us. But like the second bus came to pick us up. But on the way, that bus broke down as well. So what you had was just a bunch of, you know, sunburnt, you know, British, British lads, you know, in America. And then we turned up to the summer camp. It was like everyone was on acid. It was just kind of like, hey, welcome. It's like, everything is awesome. It's like the Lego film. And then they played this. We were kind of directed to the sort of dinner hall. We had a bit of food. And then we went to the like the main hall for like a kind of introduction. And it was like strobe lights and everything. It was like, what the fuck is going on? We just kind of, welcome to camp. Yeah, we were just really kind of spaced out almost. I guess you're just more enthusiastic and happy than us. Positive. Yeah, it's kind of. And, uh, not too. Moan about everything I've so it can be a bit great and that type of person. Yeah, but not. They're not too quick to to see the the, not, uh, the negative immediately. Some great American people. Yeah, no, it's um, no, I love it in America. I think it's great. And, yeah, um, sounds like a great experience for you. Yeah, it was no, it was amazing. It was only I did it because my. My mates did it. Uh, Connor, me, Connor, and my other friend um, Liam. We, but we, all three of us went, and we met like just great friends since then. We've, been, we've stayed in contact. We've met up, and we've gone out on the piss and whatnot. And it's just been, it's um, yeah, just a friend, last, long-lasting friendships, and it's been, it's been fantastic. It's just like it's. I'd say it's probably the best thing I've ever done because it got us out Even of. How, when you're bold and do take a step to do stuff like that, it was great, isn't it? It it really is because yeah. well, it's, it's what happens when you take a chance. Almost, it's, I know we were only there for the summer, but that was. I remember one night we had like because it's hard work. It's, you, you're looking after these kids all the time. It's you sort of it's just it's a, it's probably the hardest work I've ever, I'll ever have to do because it's just it's constant, and you kind of have to be up all the time. And it's yeah. these kids aren't the sort of the nice. They're not <laughs> they're not the nicest sometimes and. It's really, it is quite challenging, but at the same time, you build that like camaraderie with everyone, and it's just it's brilliant. I, I met my girlfriend, like my now my girlfriend now. She I met her in well, 2018. Yeah. Meant to be. Yeah, meant to be. Yeah. So it's and it's going strong since then. Fantastic. But um, yeah. no. Think about that Mayweather fight. You're sorry. It's funny thinking back to that Conor McGregor Mayweather fight. I was. I actually got to go to the press conference in London. Oh, did you? How was yeah. How was that? It was a circus, man. <laughs> Mayweather said a homophobic slur. They were like, oh, God. Was just like, show them. So it was like cringy, man. But uh, Mayweather walked straight past me and like he looked at me and gave me a nod. And I was like, wow. That must be. <laughs> I've watched all your fights, mate. He was shorter than me, though. Is he? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's quite, quite mad. Like, obviously, he must be, because he's a whirlwind. Yeah, then he went and he's, uh, I won't say it, the F, 
Was he immediately just going, like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry? I don't know, I think, I think he thought he meant something else as well, I don't know, but... Was there room he can't read? There's that thing he's, he's like, not that edgy, he can't read or something like that, isn't it? Not very well or something. No. But that must have been, like, a surreal... Because I can't really remember much of the fight, because we were just kind of at this dive bar, and it was just, like, the, probably the best bar I've ever been to, and... It's ever, cause, McGregor did well for about four rounds, but I got the impression that Mayweather was letting him. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. At that point, he just tried to knock him out, and it took him six rounds because of his hands. I think. Yeah, because yeah, he's, he's always had yeah, yeah he's always had problems with his hands, like from the like the De Hoya fight. Because yeah. he's if you watch, do you remember the old twenty four sevens? Like um, yeah, I love those HBO twenty four. I fell in love. What was the Showtime one? Oh, uh, what was the Showtime one? All access, wasn't it? All access, yeah. All access, because he had a, he'd signed a deal with Showtime, didn't he? Like a nine-fight deal. Well, he left HBO because of that argument he had with uh, Larry Merchant. Larry Merchant. Yeah, that's, it's like if I was if I was twenty years younger, I'd kick your ass. Hey, would you fuck? <laughs> would you, know, mate? But um, was that after the Ortiz fight when he did that? After the sort of I really don't know controversial yeah, maybe. But I'm, I feel it. Like the thing is so funny. That's when because they see it on his face when they're like when he's touching gloves. He's like gonna do it. Yeah. That's so pissed off with him. <laughs> I felt like a bit cheated after that because like, well, I used to stay up and watch all those fights. Hmm. Uh, watch all the build up where then he just sparks him out like they're not looking. I still I still try and watch the my favorite because the first time I got into boxing was. I think for most, like, say, British boxing fans, it's like of my maybe my age or a little bit older. It was like Ricky Hatton fights. Yeah, I used to love because I remember my mum and my stepdad got married on July. It was June fourth. It was the night of the Ricky Hatton Costa Zoo fight, and all the um, all my like stepdad's mates they got like a minibus back to someone's flat and they watched the because it was on, it was on like midnight, wasn't it? Something stupid because of Costa yeah, Zoo. Which one was it? Costa Zoo, that one, yeah. Costa Zoo, yeah, 2005, in like the MEN. Yeah, that was one hell of a win. Yeah, that was because looking back at like, I've seen like a little mini documentary with Ricky Hatton and that, and that's, he sort of balls up every time he kind of thinks about it. that. Was his, that was his one sort of defining night, and that's. Yeah. You sort of get goosebumps. It's a shame, shame he lost to me, I think the referee. Like, Joe Cortez, yeah. They fought Mayweather's fight. They fought Mayweather's type of fight and went on the inside and stuff. But I don't, I don't know that I would have changed the outcome, but I would have liked to see Ricky have a bit more of a go. But yeah, it would have. Yeah, for me, for me, I, I used to watch Lennox Lewis fights and my dad or Prince Nassim. Mm. Um, I, 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 lost, I lost interest in boxing until Ricky Hatton again, yeah, I think. And continued on with Mayweather, and I was a big Carl Frotch fan. Yeah, big. Yeah, I've. I've um, I remember streaming his Jermaine Taylor fight. I had to pay for it online before that was a thing because <laughs> no broadcasters were carrying it. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the last minute, the last round knockout? Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. That was. That was an amazing fight. Dropped him. It got dropped in the second level. 
he never got the kind of credit he deserved, Carl Froch, until like the very last. Like well, the big, the best of the best continuously throughout. Yeah, it was after. So I, I remember, I remember because when he fought Andre Ward, he lost against Andre Ward, obviously. Yeah. And it was. Yeah, and, and he. Who did he that? He beat that southpaw after that. Lucian Bute, yeah. Yeah, he destroyed him. Yeah, if, oh, I remember because the two great fights of Groves. And he had Kessler, he had the second Kessler fight yeah, as well. Yeah, it was just it was just a matter of kind of where he was, wasn't it? It was just kind of I remember a bit... watching Peter Schmeichel interview him after the game. Like, Why is he interviewing? Him? <laughs> yeah, Peter Schmeichel afterwards. <laughs> it's, it's like having Darren Goff cover the world the, the FIFA World Cup in like Talksport. It's just. <laughs> There's the, there's the one there's the one day test, Mike. Fucking hell. Yeah, I think Carl Foch doesn't get the kudos. I, I think in boxing he does, but like, he doesn't get the kudos he deserves because he's he's quite awkward to watch style. Yeah. He'd get hit quite a lot because he's had such a granite chin, but also he's quite arrogant. Yeah. He's eased up a little bit. He's sort of rough and he's kind of rough and ready all the time, wasn't he? He's just and like, is it always up for? Yeah, I suppose because his style, he's kind of hands hands were quite low all the time, weren't they? Yeah, sorry. Like a lot of fire from the sixties. You imagine fighting in the old Madison Square Garden in the fifties or sixties or something. But he had the old. He was very old school. I remember. um, Mm. What I loved, what I still love about him, is the obviously when he beat Groves in at Wembley in front of eighty thousand people, as everyone knows. He just, I, I, but I, I, I think that's brilliant though because he's obviously just the ordinary fella who's just proud of what he's. Because who wouldn't be like that in a sense? Like you've, it's kind of hard to be a. Because <laughs> like, at the time, I remember at the time that was the biggest fight. It's, well, a lot of people thought that they weren't going to be able to fill it. No. The first time they done anything like that. It's amazing what Eddie Hearn's done with boxing. It is, yeah. Because I remember when he first. I remember. Going to York Hall in like maybe 2009 to watch a fight that was on Sky Sports. So, like, mm. It's really depressing times for British boxing. Mm. And he like kind of brought it all back. He deserves a lot of credit um, for what yeah. he's done. He's well, again, I don't think he gets it because he's so arrogant and like such a big person. Like, well, he comes with. His... I don't mind those personalities. You know I mean? like, the more politically correct the world becomes, or the more like council culture stops people from having a personality like, like you kind of admire people like that. I mean we were talking about Noel Gallagher the other day just about to bring that up yeah it's, I, whether I, I, I don't agree with some of the things he says but I love I love his interviews yeah I think they're just they're, it's, it's refreshing isn't it and yeah like with Eddie Hearn it's, especially it, you, you won't find the same Eddie Hearn on Sky Sports as you will on IFL TV um, with like Coogan yeah. Because yeah, so that's because that's brilliant. Because I think like his. Are you, are you familiar with his channel, like IFL TV and stuff? Coogan, like that? Yeah, of course. I, yeah. I met Coogan. And, um, oh, you met Coogan? He was a bit off for me. Oh, was he? Oh. Yeah. Was, fair enough. I don't care. <laughs> I, I got to go in the dressing room for, in a Billy Joe Saunders fight against William Monroe before that fight. Oh, that's amazing. My mate, my mate the photographer, was taking photos for MTK Global. Hmm. So I got to meet Tyson Fury, and uh, this is when he was depressed and like overweight. It was like, there was no light in his eyes. When he sounded a bit like, it's like he had um, a, like he smoked like fifty fags a day. He's like, hi Tyson Fury. Yeah, 
Yeah, that voice, hasn't he? He's the tallest bloke I've ever seen. He looks like a complete like giant of a man. Like it just real. Yeah, I think I'd probably come up to like maybe under his nipples. <laughs> but he's I, I, all of those like that that sort of platform like IFL TV. I think it's brilliant because you see like because with footballers you wouldn't. I think it helps because boxing hasn't got the same profile as football yeah, has right. because you'll never see that side like Tony Bellew when he's doing interviews like that. On with with Coogan, they're just it's like two mates talking, and you'll never see the that side of someone say you know yeah. Stephen Gerrard. I'm only saying Stephen Gerrard probably because he's a scouser as well. But I, um, I got Tony Bellew's autograph at the Annie Joshua Academy because for weighing. Oh yeah, I I love to. I, I, I don't even have the autograph. <laughs> 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 I lost it. <laughs> Shows how much it meant to you, yeah. <laughs> no, I just got it for novelty or whatever. Everyone was asking, but yeah. my mate John got him to sign the inside of his jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I loved, I loved Tony Belly interviews because when he was boxing, it was because every at every point of the interview, the, it was always going. It was a guarantee. There's like death taxes, and then Tony Belly was like, because. All the maddest Coogan is I'm going home to me wife and me beautiful, beautiful kids. <laughs> he's always like, none of this. He'd always like, none of this matters. It doesn't matter, Coogan. None of it matters. He, he's so funny. <laughs> yeah, he's really entertaining. <laughs> he is. Yeah, I love. Uh, he's, really, he's taller than I thought. He's a big man though. Is he? he's kind of when when yeah, he came, when he became cruiserweight, he just he just that was his sort of that seemed like his natural weight because at light heavyweight yeah. he, was, he just looked a bit. Well, he's showing up you know against the Don Steele. Like, oh, sort of if first saw him, he was like, doing an interview with someone, they saw his back. Like, about, I reckon for about six foot three. Mm. Really muscular upper body, really like thin legs. And he was like standing like with his feet together, pointing out, like not very athletically. And I was like, this is like a world champion. <laughs> so he just didn't look like he had the physique for it. But I guess... He's a very... His boxing IQ is very high. Yeah, he's he's just a very... I wasn't surprised when he outboxed Yusik all those rounds. I never saw that fight. I've kind of... Yeah, um, he was like outboxing and then he got, got tired and got knocked out. It was a good fight. I remember his... Obviously, the... The Goodison Park fight was great. The, um... Yeah. Because when he, he won... The, out the ring and that, was that where he jumped out of the ring after David A? No, I think that was the B, that was the BJ Flores one, um, oh, and he was. I think he called it uh, um, when he first won the world title. He called him the bitch from Bermondsey, and then he was like just all that carry on with him, just like jumping out the ring after the BJ Flores one, and just that that I remember that build up for the first fight was amazing. That was, was yeah. that was incredible because that was just, oh, it was just the, the storyline of it was just brilliant. It was just fantastic. It was. But see, when I watched that, I watched that fight in this pub in Stoke Newington, and they were so loud in there, mm. I couldn't hear the sound. So I just see David Hayes stumbling around. Yeah. I literally thought that like he pulled a muscle or something, or like he hadn't trained properly. I was just like, I was like furious. <laughs> and then like it quietened down after the fight, and we could hear like Adam Smith and all that talking, saying like what a heroic 
performance from David Hay like after injuring himself and I'm like huh? <laughs> I had to watch it back do you remember it was just the same where were you with the AJ Klitschko fight When where were you watching that a bunch of mates uh, in a studio in uh, Seven Sisters yeah like this photographer studio they'd set the projector up and the laptop but it's so funny like so he knocked him down in round five we were all going wild yeah there's about 50 of us then round six starts and the uh, projector packs in goes like blue and we can't get it to work so we're all huddled around this 13 inch <laughs> which kind of like made it better yeah it's what makes it a bit more adds the adds yeah. the, you got a good story out of it yeah yeah but we that was, that was a mad fight I watched I it Coach can let him off the hook yeah do you think so I think Probably, probably after what, him getting a second win. I'd say after afterwards, yeah, because when he, because I remember when he knocked him down in the fifth, it was like, um, more well, Klitschko. Well, AJ got like he went wild trying to knock him out and burned, like blew his, blew a gasket. And then, yeah. Then like kind of hung in there while after getting knocked down himself. Mm. But that was like a heavy knockdown when he when Klitschko knocked him down. That, that was, was a big ass punch. That was head. huge. I remember just kind of we went because I'd been working with some friends at like a because the girl I was working with she um, her family runs like a kind of bar and like so they basically set up like their, their service so we were serving like this um, family's like kids first birthday so it was like working there and then I met my mates in town with them like later on I remember we were trying to get into a Yates to watch it and the guy wouldn't let me in because I was wearing like my Nike trainers and he was like you can't you can't come in mate you can't come. I was like some some dickheads just walked out with Converse, mate. Like you, 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 I was like, literally, fuck's sake. Then we found this old, like, weird, dodgy bar. It was packed to the rafters. I remember when, when, when he won that fight. That was like as if England had won the World Cup or something like that. The atmosphere in town was yeah, amazing. Yeah. It was just, a, it was incredible. It was, it was so good. That was, that was in Nottingham. That was amazing. Yeah, but boxing brings the weirdest crowd of people out. Everyone becomes a bit of an expert, and I'm 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 a bit kind of. Yeah. Like, like you've got like this mix of like really rough people who think they're hard. Yeah. Those are travellers, and then like people who don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Just, you like, see, they're a bit get pissed off and watch a fight. It's just, like, the weirdest mix of people. I probably fall. I definitely fall under the category of people who don't know what they're talking about. It's just kind of just. A, especially after a few drinks, I'm just like, yeah, he needs to like, move his head or something. <laughs> but I have no idea. <laughs> But um, it was. I remember when AJ got knocked down. Is this woman in front of me was just like sobbing, like she was just like, kind of no AJ. Like it was. It's, it's weird how attached you get to a mm. fight, isn't it? Like I was saying to my wife the other day, like when Conor McGregor lost at the weekend, like take it personally. Yeah, are you a McGregor fan? Well, I, mean, I mean, I just I've followed his career, right? Yeah. So, like, you inevitably support. Yeah, yeah, of course. When AJ lost to Andy Ruiz, I sulked the next day. Maybe because you have to stay up all night and you're tired of it. Yeah. I take it personally. So the only fight I remember really, yeah, when, like, say, I remember being gutted when, like, Ricky Hatton lost against Pacquiao when he got knocked out. Yeah, that was sad, Because me and my dad stayed up for that and it was just kind of really... The way he dropped. Yeah, that was, it was, that was, because it was the second round, wasn't it, or something like that. And it was that was sad after that, and then what happened? It's interesting. I think I think Richie Allen says this as well. He, he got he got beat up in the first round, and then he comes out in the second round, and he's like he's winning. 
second round. Yeah. And I'm like, here we go. And then it's just like, boom, goof. Yeah. And it happens so quickly when you're watching it live. You're like, huh? Yeah, you just kind of fell. You see the replay and like, whoa. That was... Put him into outer space. And I love fighters like Miguel Cotto and whatnot and... Yeah, yeah, tough fight. I love, I love. Well, I do, I do love really skillful fighters like Mayweather. And... Oh, Mayweather! Yeah, I'm a massive fan of Mayweather. Like his, just yeah. his. Remember when he came back to fight Marquez? I just completely schooled him. I was like, this is insane. Yeah, I remember. He, just, he, he, he caught him with his punch. So, uh, Marquez throws a sloppy jab. Mm. Mayweather slips it by leaning back. Yeah, flipping it slightly to the side. He hits him with a lead right hand. So uh, Marquez's momentum from the jab is to throw the right hand off. So he's in, in between the jab and the right hand. He's calling with the lead right hand. Mm. He ducks the right hand, pivots, and is away the other way. It's like, whoa. When it's you see it full speed, you're like, what the hell was that? And then yeah. they slide down, and it's just like genius. And Andre Ward, similar. Andre Ward's it. Like, the cliff of him, he like, he parries... Parries a left, he parries a jab with his right hand in the Philly shell. Mm. Shoulder kind of old thing. He eats a right hand in his stomach himself <laughs> to land flush on the chin with his own right hand. In second, no, not even second. It's just mm. like, whoa, how, how do you see that? I know, it's just, it's, it's, it, when you see it, and obviously when, like you said, in full speed, you're like, whoa, what the fuck? And then when you see yeah. it in slow motion, it really it, it brings out a new complete appreciation for him. Like, yeah. Straight away. Yeah. When I think of Marquez, though, I think of his knockout um, when he knocked out Pacquiao. Yeah, that was a good one. That's my favourite ever commentary. Yeah, I think they had four fights. Right? This is the fourth one. Yeah, that was the fourth one, and I that, that was my favourite. That was my favourite commentary um, uh, from Roy Jones Jr. when it when it happened. Yeah, what like, did he say? Whoa! He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. <laughs> <laughs> just crazy. What does does he knew instantly? He was just kind of like, whoa! He's not getting up. And then, oh, I I didn't. I can't. Remember, I remember Roy Jones versus Joe Calzaghe, but that was I can't. Yeah, that was, I was way up. They were both faster. Yeah, that was. That fight should happen years before. Mm, that was his last fight, wasn't it, Joe Calzaghe? Yeah. Because he had like the American sort of swan song then. He because he'd always yeah, fought. Hopkins and Roy Jones. Yeah, he'd always fought in um, Cardiff and, and whatnot, and yeah. but he'd had he had he had a long. Like bout of injuries as well, like because wasn't he out for a year? Because I remember who did he unify? He unified against who was the American fighter who came over? Jeff Lacey. Yeah, Jeff Lacey. Yeah, who was seen as the sort of super middleweight Tyson. Yeah. And he talks about that as his greatest. That was his greatest night because they're all saying. Yeah, that's pretty good. I would have absolutely loved to see Carl Frotch and Joe Calzone. Oh, that was yeah. When I was kind of. That was the well, that was the fight. I was. Such kept calling him out. That was the fantasy fight. In yeah. The, uh, in the early, like, early, like, kind of rain. Like, oh god! But then, like, as it went on, you're like, yeah, these two should fight. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. There's no no real reason for Calvary to come back and risk his legacy on that. Yeah. But he's, I blame it. But the seeds, the the Kazaki Hopkins um, fight started in the way in for the Hatton Mayweather fight. When he's, really, when they, they go like face yeah. to face, and like Hopkins is like, "I never let a white boy beat me," and then he's, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. But um, um, 
the thing that um, hearing the, like the two fights went the same way, didn't they? Similar. Yeah, he was knocked down. Was, I think he was knocked down both times, Joe. Yeah, Gans, both first round and both fights. I think. Yeah, but he had the sort of. I think he well, he went out on his terms, didn't he, Joe Calzaghe? He managed to keep his yeah. his record and he and uh, have that American Swan Song, which everyone I'd say, which most fighters it's dream a big of. Payday and yeah. yeah, one last payday and. Vegas or Madison Square Garden. That's the one, isn't yeah, it? Interesting. I think my great. Great granddad fought the old Madison Square Garden. Oh wow! It was bantamweight. That's amazing. Boxer. Yeah. So you used to box? Didn't you used to box? Had them boxing club? No, I, I have boxed. I, I boxed uh, uh, in in Ealing Hamwell Gym, but I've never had an amateur bout. I just sparred hundreds of rounds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got when I moved to London, I. Found it a bit intimidating. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd always wanted to box. So I did it. I think I did do a little bit out of having when I was a teenager and never took it seriously. Mm. Tyler, yeah. Tyler, Tyler Goodjohn was would have been coming up the same time if you were there as well, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. 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 Bare knuckle now, isn't he, or whatever. He is, yeah, he's bare knuckle. Um, yeah, I've actually. I've, I've, well, I've Sorry? I think, I don't know. Doing porn as well, I think. Yeah, I've reached out to him to get him to be on the podcast. Yeah, I've, yeah get him on, get him on. I'd love to. I'd love to get because I remember messaging him a couple of years ago, um, and he said, "Yeah, this was before all of like the American sort of story, the American part of the journey, and obviously way before yeah. the porn." So, I I think because he because he tells all on his social media, and he would really tell all like on a podcast. It would be, and I just yeah, I just I think. Just kind of just asking questions because I, I find him, I, I kind of find him fascinating, really. Yeah, get him on, it would be highly entertaining for you. It would be, yeah. He's... But um, I think he's left yeah. the bare knuckle promotion he's with because they haven't, I don't think they've, um, I don't think they've yeah. paid him. <laughs> which is, um, which is a bit shit, but uh, no, he's, he'll, 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 he'll find his way to another promotion. He's, Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, guys, he didn't stick with boxing. Yeah, was, for it. I remember watching um, his fight at uni uh, when he won the English title, and that was like I remember thinking that yeah. that guy's from where I'm from. That was like amazing. Yeah, it was on Sky Sports. Right? Yeah, it was. He used to it, he used to fight on the. Yeah. That must he, he fought quite a few times at York Hall, didn't he? Yeah. No, it's a bit. It'd be good to get him uh, on the podcast. I, I played. I've got actually. I'll, if I if I get him on the podcast, I'll tell him the stories. I'll see if he can remember it. But when I played, I played football. I played Sunday football, um, Sunday league when I was like say seventeen, eighteen. When I was in sixth form, obviously Sunday league's like you're playing with men, and that was like the first time I was like playing with like men and not like a schoolboy team. And it was Sunday League, and obviously I didn't know what Sunday League properly was. It was, you know, just basically everyone's hung over playing football. And he, obviously, he he played as well. So we go to um, we play in High Barns in Cambridge, which is like known as a bit of a is it High Barns or is King King's Edges, like Arbury and stuff like that. Like yeah, we're playing King's Edges and uh, Arbury, and 
we play the team there and they're like they've got like massive big Alsatian dogs on the fucking side and every time you, you go down the wing you sort of like let the leash go a little bit and it's quite an intimidating like for, for me I was like a young kid I was like quite intimidated and there was this one striker I was marking and he was just a giant he was just tall and he was kind of elbowing me and all sorts and kind of just pulling me around he did the same to Tyler and Tyler just kind of and when people say like he's win or lose, he's always up for a scrap. He was he's up for a scrap, even if someone likes it, because he was he was right in this bloke's face, was like just pumping his chest out. It's kind of like fucking come on, then you like just also it was just it was, it was about to, and like no one would have started on this guy because like this, the height difference. It's like if he was like as tall as Peter Crouch, this fella, it was ridiculous. And I remember just being a bit of a deer in the headlights, being like, oh, hi. <laughs> kind of, oh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, me and Tyler used to. But heads when we were growing up. I mean, him had a few fights as well, but then we'd become friends as we were older. I, uh, <laughs> he was getting attacked by this group of people in Italy one night, and I ended up by helping him. Me and yeah. both got arrested for it. Oh, and wow. We'd become friends, it was quite funny. That's quite funny, yeah. It's like the tables, tables sort of turned. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, on that note, Liam, yep. I have to go pick my son up from nursery, so. Uh, no, very. Thank it's been you. Great chance here. I could have gone on and on and on. No, we've 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 gone on for quite a while now. But thanks, well, thanks, Reese, for that. for doing this, yeah, and I appreciate your time. And um, yeah, my pleasure. No, well, congratulations. I, hope of, I gave you what, what you wanted. No, nah, it's been it's been brilliant. No, yeah, congratulations yeah. on obviously everything that you've achieved. Obviously, with um, in film and obviously with your sobriety and whatnot. And uh, it's uh, it's great to see that you you know doing well. And I'm looking forward to obviously the information you give us and. I'm looking forward to obviously future projects as well. So the fans and. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you yeah, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, no, it's uh, Reese. To quote Reese Chapman's the real deal, eh? <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. Try no, thanks. Thanks again, mate. All right, have a nice evening. You Take too. Care. Take care. Bye. Keep smiling. Cheers, mate. Big thanks to Reese for um, uh, doing the interview with us uh, on the podcast. The first official guest, um, as said, hopefully. You, Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as um, uh, I did in sort of um, doing the interview with him. Uh, sure, you can agree, interesting guy, and he's had a hell of a story and um, really come out good. And it's uh, yeah, just a interesting sort of path he's taken into film, and um, it's, it's great seeing how successful he is. And obviously, seeing someone from your own backyard doing well is is really good, really satisfying. So um, uh, and yeah, just kind of spoke about a whole load of things. Um, uh, but that wraps up for today on the podcast. Um, uh, big thanks again to Reese. Um, uh, appreciate the time, and um, uh, thanks again to the sponsors, Faster Pasta. Make sure you check them out and um, uh, follow the channel, um, Voice Notes Podcast on Instagram, and also if you want to follow um, me on Twitter, it's Selfie Boy at thirteen with uh, any of the podcast links and whatnot. Um, for the meantime, uh, goodbye from me and goodbye from Connor. Bye everyone. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you soon. Keep smiling. Bye.